Welcome to episode six of the Spud Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Taylor. I'm a bit of a nut who uh, ate only potatoes for all of 2016. If you want to learn more about me, then you can check out spudfit.com. There you can find uh, a book that I wrote called the DIY Spud Fit Podcast. Spud Fit Podcast? The DIY Spud Fit Challenge. I wrote that with my wife. Uh, it's got all the tips and tricks and psychological uh, tactics to get you through your own Spud Fit Challenge. And it's also got uh, a bunch of recipes that can help you as well. It's, uh, it's available through spudfit.com and you can also just search for it on Amazon and, uh, and find it there as a paperback or as an ebook. Uh, if you are listening to this soon after it's published, uh, then you hopefully will have the chance to get along to the uh, Living the Plant Power Way events, which are happening in Sydney on uh, this Thursday, the 16th of March, uh, and then in Melbourne on Friday, the 17th of March. It's uh, Rich Roll and his wife, Julie Pyatt, and myself and Andrew Davies, Dr. Andrew Davies, will be uh, sharing our stories and hopefully a bit of wisdom. And, uh, and it'll, be, it'll be an amazing event with, uh, with music and meditation and, uh, and talks and question and answers and, of course, amazing food as well. So hopefully I'll, uh, I'll see you all there. Uh, now, Rich is my guest today. Rich Roll is the guest, which is cool for me. Uh, I was on Rich Roll's podcast last year and we flipped it around and I interviewed Rich this time for the Spud Fit podcast. Had a great time. And uh, yeah, Rich is an amazing, inspirational guy and, uh, and he was able to give me a lot of good advice for my mission to improve my fitness this year. I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I did. And um, like I said, go to spudfit.com if you want to learn more about me and go to Living the Plant Power Way to find out more about uh, how you can see Rich in, uh, in the flesh in Sydney and Melbourne coming up this week. On to the podcast. All right, Rich Roll, welcome to the Spudfit Podcast. Great to be here. Good to be on the other side of the podcast equation with you today. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, I, in an earlier podcast with Anna Chisholm, I said to her that she was uh, one of the inspirations behind me actually starting my own podcast. And of course, you are one as well, because uh, I was on a couple of different podcasts last year and I uh, enjoyed the experience so much that I wanted to do it more often. So, um, And how's it going? Yeah, going really well so far. And yeah, thanks for... Thanks for putting the idea in my head. <laughs> That's great, man. It's a it's a super fun medium, and I and it's powerful. And we had a great conversation, so I'm not surprised that you uh, that the light bulb went off in your head, and you're you're running with it. Yeah. A lot of people talk about doing it, but then they don't actually do it. So you actually did it, which is awesome. And it sounds like you're well on your way, and you got some good momentum. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you. It's just a, it's a really cool excuse to be able to sit down with some cool people and uh, and have good conversations which are few and far between in um in general life these days i think so yeah yeah absolutely it's it's actually the the greatest scam in the world because yeah. it gives you a reason to call up people that you have no business calling up and hoodwink them into sitting down and answering <laughs> all your questions 
under yeah. the uh, you know air quotes rubric of like helping spread their message. <laughs> You're letting but, the uh, sacred uh, out. Yeah, but the great thing is that you get to share that, and so it enriches your life and it enriches the life of everybody that has the opportunity to listen to it. At least that's been my experience, and it sounds like it has been yours as well. Yeah, and in, in my short podcasting life, so yeah, definitely agree. But uh, I don't want you to let the secret out that this is just uh, you know. A, uh, put in the door to talk to some no. awesome people. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, it doesn't matter because you, they still have to execute, and most people yeah. don't want, aren't going to do it. So I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's uh, to start things off. I'm sure there's at least one or two people listening to this that don't know who you are. So uh, let's start off with the obvious question: Who is Rich Roll? Uh, that's the. How long do we have? <laughs> I don't know quite how to answer that, but I guess the the sort of. Uh, you know, oh. easy, the flip way to do it is just, you know, I'm an, I'm an athlete, ultra endurance athlete. I'm an author. I've written two books, uh, finding ultra plant power way, uh, which is a cookbook. First is a memoir. The second is a cookbook. Um, I am a podcaster. I have a podcast that I started about four years ago, the rich roll podcast where I do basically what you're doing today. Uh, I'm a public speaker. I am married to the beautiful Julie Pyatt who's sitting over there Hi, on Julie. the couch. She's my Co, she's my co-author on the Plant Power Way, even but it's really her book. You know, they're her yep. recipe. She's the she's the genius in the kitchen, and she is um, the strength and the reason behind uh, and the inspiration behind everything that I do and have been able to do. Uh, and I'm a father. I have two daughters and two stepsons, uh, and we live in beautiful Malibu Ca- Canyon, California. Uh, so I don't know. I never know what to say yeah. when somebody says, what do you do? I do a whole bunch of different things. Uh, but essentially, I, I, I think it all kind of falls under the umbrella of being a wellness advocate. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's a pretty good introduction. And uh, part of the reason that uh, that your story resonates with me personally and with lots of other people is your, your history of addiction. And uh, obviously, m- me with a different type of addiction to what you had. But uh, can we just have a, a very brief history of your uh your experiences with that as well and then we'll get yeah sure um i'm a recovering uh addict alcoholic uh basically i've been sober for a while but um i'm somebody who uh struggles and has struggled with addiction throughout my whole life uh somebody who grew up uh, as a youngster kind of uh uh insecure and had difficulty connecting with other people um, sort of a loner, quiet child, and discovered discovered alcohol around the age of 18, and that kind of opened up a whole new world for me. It's helped me socialize, and it was it was sort of like lubricant in the social you know gearbox of my life. Uh, but it's something that very quickly started to erode the kind of quality of everything that was <clears throat> aspirational. I was somebody who grew up with a lot of promise. I had a lot of opportunities. Uh, a lot of which became squandered through uh, my alcoholism. Um, I drank until I was 31 years old, and at the end, it was a pretty dark picture of kind of loneliness and desperation. Uh, I don't have the most dramatic drunkalogue story. It's pretty pedestrian, but uh, you know, seems pretty dramatic. To yeah, me. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it was it was it was just kind of lonely and pathetic, actually. Yeah. <laughs> But it, was, it didn't involve, you know, lots of sort of super dramatic things that lend themselves to great stories. But, you know, ultimately at the very end, I had turned into pretty much a round-the-clock drinker. I was teetering on losing my job, which would have led to me becoming homeless. I was 
uh, alienated from my friends and family. I was untrustworthy. It was just, I was basically like not a very good person. Um, got sober, went to rehab for a hundred days back in 1998. And that began the process of, of me, you know, assembling a toolbox for a new way of living, a way of living based on spiritual principles, um, a way of living premised on, on service and a way of living premised on faith and trying to connect with my heart essentially. And it wasn't an overnight thing for the first 10 years. I basically was a workaholic. And then that I sort of transferred all of my addiction tendencies onto my career, rebuilding my career and sort of getting back all the opportunities that I had squandered and also living a very unhealthy lifestyle, uh, medicating myself through my food choices and my lifestyle choices that by 39 had left me 50 pounds overweight and kind of on the precipice of, of, you know, chronic lifestyle illness. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, uh, interesting story for me and that the, the book finding out finding ultra, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the book was, uh, a really interesting thing for me to read from the point of view of myself as a food addict and, uh, and the, the challenges there are, there are some parallels there. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that story. Um, now, I am spud fit. Everyone obviously knows I ate only uh, potatoes for last year. That's the spud part of my name. But now there's a fit part of the name that I have to deal with. So that's mostly wanted to. Do. <laughs> that's mostly what <laughs> I wanted. Heavy emphasis to do. on spud, not yeah. so much on fit. That's yeah, right. Like, that's uh, right. So um, yeah. So last year was the year of spuds, and this year is the year of fitness for me. So uh, I wanted to uh, try to maybe focus mostly on that side of things mm-hmm. uh, in this podcast. So. Uh, yeah, to start with you, something you haven't talked about so far is uh, is you being an elite uh, athlete in a former life and in your current life, but with a, a different life in between. But uh, as an elite junior swimmer, um, how did what did you learn from from that experience as being an elite junior swimmer, and uh, and how's that shaped you as a person today? Um, yeah, great question. Uh, it was extremely informative um, about how I lived after that experience and, and lived today. I think the, the main thing I learned when I was a young person was that, uh, when you put in work, you get results, you know, when you actually sort of focus on something and show up for it, that down the line, not the next day, not the day after that, but at some point down the line, you will be paid dividends for that work. And that was my first experience as a young person where I actually saw that because I was a good swimmer, but I wasn't, some kind of brilliantly, naturally gifted swimmer. There were swimmers who were much more talented than me. And I so badly as a young person wanted to be like as good as them. Like that was my driving force. And I realized that when I would double down on the work that I could bridge that talent deficit gap and catch up to them. And when I started to see the results of that, that kind of informed my whole worldview. And I applied that to my academics. I applied that to uh, my you know, career later in life. And I applied that to my approach to Ultraman. And I continue to apply a lot of those tools today. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was a crazy, uh, I had a crazy work ethic as a swimmer and also as an ultra endurance athlete. And I think there's you know, good things about that. And there's not so good things about that. And I think for you as spud fit and somebody who is, you know, trying to focus on the fitness part who has, you know, some kind of relationship with addictive behavior patterns. Um, it would be interesting to talk about exploring that a little bit because you can kind of leverage some of that for your benefit, but you also have to be very conscious about how it can, 
you know, take you into, you know, that sort of obsessive state that leads you astray from the goal that you're seeking. Yeah, well, I do have uh, that sort of, I'm struggling with that relationship a little bit at the moment because I feel like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very all or nothing person and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I want to do a lot more training than I'm able to do. And, uh, and I'm at, I sort of sometimes feel like, you know, if I can't get a four-hour training session in, then what's the point of doing anything at all? That, that sort of but thing But that's the growth in. opportunity yeah. right there. Yeah, like yeah. that right in and of itself, that's the, that's the lesson for you to yeah. learn, right? Because you're not going to be able to go out and train four hours. I'm the same way. I would love to be able to just train all day long every single day. That's not my life anymore. So yeah. how, do you, how do you embrace a different approach? Yeah, good point. And we actually, that's another parallel that we have that I forgot to mention that I, I don't know, you probably don't know that I was an elite junior kayaker. So that's mm. another sort of something that we share. But uh, yeah, trying to, um, you know, I'm used to as an, as from my previous days as an athlete, being able to put in four, six hours a day of just going hard work, you know, and, uh, and to not be able to do that now with all these other commitments that I've got, I'm finding it hard to, you know, find say, some well, sort forget of it i'm not there. doing yeah. it at all yeah exactly right? yeah. no it's not yeah there is that tendency that to think well if i can't if i can't do it the way that i used to then i don't want to do it at all but obviously that's not logical but you know mm -hmm. it's, it's about trying to find some sort of some sort of uh reasonable approach to it but uh, anyway these are these are my issues we're talking about but you that's <laughs> but this is but you know they're the they're the issues that i struggle with as well. And I think there are a lot of people out there that, you know, deal with that. And I think, you know, for you, uh, you know, when I look at someone who's like, I'm only going to eat potatoes for a year, there's an incredible yeah. amount of self-discipline that goes into that. There's a, but there's also like an obsessive nature that, that you harnessed for your benefit, but also like, how do you let go of that? And like, you know, basically be okay with yourself being imperfect. How are you going to be okay? Just if you only get a half an hour of training in and the next day you don't get anything because you're traveling for some opportunity that's come up as a result of like all these things that you've done and the, and the sort of opportunities that are now presented to you to be able to like share the message, what's most important and what's your driving force and how do you balance all of that? And I think that's how you become like the, the sort of taking that on and learning how to be okay with that is how you become a more fully formed, functional, you know, person with, with who's, who's overcoming those addictive tendencies to, you know, be sort of well-rounded and, and more balanced in your life. Yeah, that's a really, really good point of, uh, you know, trying to figure out where my time is best spent at the moment, I guess. And uh, actually leads to another question that I had written down for later on, but I'll go with it now as, you know, coming from that background of being an elite swimmer, you know, swimming at college at Stanford, it's a, you know, you, you said you're not, you weren't the best of the best, but you were somewhere near that. Um, when you decided to go back to swimming and triathlon, obviously in the beginning you sucked at it. Mm -hmm. So how did you, how did you deal with that? Well, I still think I suck at it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not like under any illusions that, I mean, you keep calling me an elite athlete now, like I've done some cool stuff, but I yeah. look at it like, well, any real pro triathlete would look at what I've done and just be like, well, that's yeah. nonsense. You know what I mean? I'm a 50 year old man. Like, so when I go to the pool now, I jump in and I swim and I feel like I'm 24 years old and I look at the pace clock and I think, oh, that's about, not, eh, if I'm doing a hundred meter repeats, you know, I'll think, well, that I'm coming in because I know my body so well, that's about this time. And then I'll look at the clock and it's like 
12 seconds longer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, wait, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I can't, I can't train and be at the level that I was at when I was, you know, 20 years old. So I think it's a healthy lesson in learning how to be okay with where you're at, you know, and it's not about, it's not about like, oh, I should be here or why am I not here? It's, a, it's about being comfortable with, with where you're at and trying to be the best version of yourself in that moment so that tomorrow you can be a little bit better than you were yesterday. So the more you kind of narrow that time window and focus on what you're doing in the moment and let go of what it used to be like, oh, the glory days or yep. you know, what you think you should be, where you should be, why am I not doing this and why is that guy doing that, whatever. And the more you can like let go of all of that because it's just noise and it's just projection anyway, then the better off that you, you are. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good way to look at it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's just something for me to work on, I guess, of uh, trying to trying to focus on the job at hand rather than uh, what was or what might be. What is your goal? Um, that's an, another interesting one. I, I, the only goal I've got at the moment, I'm struggling with it. I've got so many ideas bouncing mm-hmm. around in my head of different events that I want to do or different things I want to focus on. And uh, there's a few ideas that I haven't really put out there into mm-hmm. the world yet. I'm not sure if I'm ready to, but... Uh, yeah, that's a it's a hard one to actually figure out exactly what I want to be aiming towards or, or whether it's even worthwhile having a, a goal or should I just be focused on the process rather than the end result? Well, I think that, that uh, I mean, my, my opinion is that you shouldn't, you don't have to make too big of a deal. Like you're not, you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're like sort of, inability to set a goal is that sort of paralysis is yeah. because you're building it up in your mind to be this huge thing. And if you commit to something, Oh my God, what does that mean? I would just pick something and commit to it. And you don't have to be public about it if you don't want to. But I think if you do that, it will, it will like create snap focus around everything else that you're doing fitness wise and create sort of purpose and intention behind what you're doing every day. And I think you'll find within that structure, uh, because I think we have a similar perspective um, that it will really help drive you towards the results that you're seeking in a more productive way. Because every day, instead of just like, well, I, what am I going to do today? What's my fitness thing? You'll know exactly like, here's what I'm doing today because I know in six months or nine months or three months or whatever, I have to do this thing. And this is the this is sort of the focus or the goal of my current workout today. And there's just within that structure, there's freedom. And, and I think that there's a greater kind of launch pad for achieving, you know, what you're seeking to achieve. Yeah, that makes sense because you know, I compare it to last year again that, you know, I had a pretty simple goal that was to eat potatoes for the whole year. And look how and powerful that was. Yeah. It drove your behavior in a really profound way. Yeah, it made every day was so simple because of that. Each, what am I going to eat today? I'm going to mm-hmm. eat potatoes. There's no more thought to go into it than that. But so, if you're like yeah. waking up every day, like, what am I going to do to be fit? And that's yeah. a very amorphous idea. Then all the, think of all the crazy, well, should I do this? Should I do this? The decision fatigue that sets in is yeah. enormous. So as somebody who doesn't like decision fatigue <laughs> or is trying to get rid of that, if you have a goal, you can map out like what you need to do every day leading up to that. And then you just look at it. It's on paper. This is what I do. I don't have to like, I don't have to, you know, ha- have a bunch of arguments in my mind about what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. That's a really good point. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Well, I don't know how I did not come up with that myself yeah. <laughs> with my experience from last year. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we'll uh, we learn. We live and we learn. 
Um, so on to your, your lawyer days then. You, you spent quite a long time as a lawyer as well. And uh, we'll talk about how your life as an elite athlete, well, okay, not elite mm. athlete, uh, shaped you. But how, what about being a lawyer? How has that shaped you and your approach to life these days? Um, I think that, that uh, I mean, I enjoyed law school. I like being in academia. I learned a lot. Law school teaches you how to think in a certain way. And it's something that I appreciate and I've carried into my life, but my pursuit of, you know, a career in law was driven not from the heart or some kind of passion for, you know, what that career would avail me, but really out of, um, indecision about what it was that I really wanted to do with myself and, and a a disconnection from who I was to really even be able to unpack and answer that question because I was just on this sort of habit trail towards doing what, you know, a sort of privileged uh, person who graduates from Stanford has the opportunity to do. I just went to law school, you know, because it seemed like a a good, responsible thing to do. That's what somebody in my position, you know, would do, not because it's, I had any passion for it. And so I was able to jam that square peg into a round hole for many years, but I never took to it. I never had a love for it. I was smart enough to be able to get by, but ultimately, you know, I was on a crash course with disaster with that because there was nothing about it that I enjoyed. And I found myself succeeding, you know, kind of succeeding at it, like failing upwards almost because I could do the work and I could buckle down and force myself to kind of move forward and, you know, with my eyes on the prize of achieving the American dream of prosperity and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I didn't really aspire to have the lives of any of the people that I worked with. And, you know, ultimately I just became more and more divorced from my true self, more distanced from it. And I think that fueled my alcoholism until I just became this sort of combustible scenario that, you know, ultimately was going to explode at some point. And so, you know, the end of my lawyer career and kind of the end in the end of my unhealthy lifestyle habits, those things sort of coincided. There was like this moment in time where this existential crisis about how I was living kind of butted up against all of my unhealthy lifestyle habits and created this you know, sort of crisis on a staircase that led me to really look at myself in a different way and, and ultimately take action on a new path for how I live now. Okay, interesting. I've uh, I've been a teacher for a long time, and uh, and I've got a little theory about this sort of midlife crisis, which is mm-hmm. something along the lines of what you described. I guess is is that uh, students at school uh, spend in Australia thirteen years going to school, doing what other people tell them to do most of the time, and uh, and my theory is that if instead of being able to being forced to go to school and forced to do what happens at school all the time if they were able to spend all that time doing what they want to do and figuring out who they are and what they want to be and all of that then um then maybe uh that activity wouldn't then be put off until midlife and maybe the crisis wouldn't come so this isn't something i plan on talking about no but i mean i think you're absolutely right you know i I think that that you know we're not asking children 
I mean, I certainly was never asked, but we're not asking children the most important questions. You know, who are you? What is it that you want to do? What gets you excited? And then trying to create support around that so that learning is, is, is driven by, you know, an internal passion and, a, and an innate interest in a subject matter. Like my whole life, I just did what I was told and I never asked myself what is it that I want. Yeah. Like I, I had no skill set for that kind of internal, um, you know, interior kind of line of questioning because it it just never come up. Like you just do what you're supposed to do and then everything works out and you live this happy life. Mm. That was, that's what I thought, you know what I mean? So I think we need to really take a hard look at how we're educating our kids and, and come up with new and interesting and different ways so that we can support the, you know, the flame that I think is lit within every human being. Yeah. And then, yeah, you don't, the time doesn't come where you just go, what the hell have I been doing all this time? Yeah. And you, you have that little freak out moment. Well, as a teacher, you have the opportunity to do that, right? Can you? Or are you just so confined within the, the yeah. structure and the system of how it's all set up? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, uh, at the moment, I'm not a teacher. Well, I am a teacher. I just do relief teaching now. When someone's sick, uh-huh. they call me and I go in for the day. And, uh, and apart from that, I'm trying to be potato man. Right. But <laughs> we'll see. But uh but yeah, I've been a teacher for a long time and and I have tried very hard to, you know, change the, change the system from within, so to speak, as much as I can. But yeah, like I said, you're really just butting up against a system mm-hmm. that's inflexible and uh, there's someone in my position, there's not a lot you can do. Even if you're a school principal, I don't think there's a lot you can do to change the system. So um, yeah, I feel like if, if it's ever going to change, the, the change needs to be come from outside the system and the demand for that type of change needs to uh, become sort of a groundswell of this is what the people want and then the system will change but yeah um, I can't actually see it happening you Mm -hmm. know it's a it's a sad state of affairs I think in the education system there's lots of great things about it and there's it's full of amazing people doing their best but uh, I think people are just stuck in a bad system that doesn't quite do what it should well the system hasn't changed since what like 1820 or you know the the sort of advent of the industrial revolution we're teaching kids Mm. the same way that we've taught them for hundreds of years and we fail to appreciate just how much culture is changed and how much technology has altered the landscape in terms of how people learn and what's appropriate to teach them like the idea of sort of knowledge accumulation seems less important now when you have a super cute computer in your pocket that can answer every conceivable question you might ever ask it and it but also it provides an opportunity to to teach children more creatively to teach them about how to work with other people about how to you know channel their creative instincts about how to ask those you know questions of themselves and i think you know, it sounds like we're getting far afield of, 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 you know, the, the, the line of questioning, but I think it's, I think it's appropriate. And and I think it's actually super relevant and germane because I'm sure, you know, you travel around, you got all these veg fests, you meet all these people, right? There's a lot of talk about kale and what kind of kale do you eat? What kind of potatoes do you eat? And like all that kind of stuff. And, and that's all great, but I think there's a lot of people that, that are missing the big picture, right? Like, like you're, I see you as somebody who didn't want to live the, the, his life the way that he had been living and wanted a new and different way. And the potatoes are like a vehicle for that, but it's really 
a more, you know, spiritual existential adventure that you've been on of trying to connect with your higher self in a profound way. And the potatoes were like a way to do that, but the potatoes aren't the point, right? The, The point is that you wanted to live differently. You wanted to live more in alignment with your higher consciousness. Like, and now we're sitting here today doing a podcast. And like you just said, like you're busy trying to be the potato man. You're the spud fit guy, which like a year, a little over a year ago, I'm sure would have seemed insane. Oh, totally insane. And everything about your life is different. So the potatoes got you there, but the potatoes are not the point. The point is that like you made a decision about the direction of your life and wanted to, you know, sort of, um, rejigger that journey, you know, and now you're on this crazy, amazing adventure that you would have never imagined that you could possibly be on. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's a spiritual journey. It's not about like the recipe for the potato that you ate last night. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah, this is a, a point that's mostly missed. I think well, not, yeah, it's becoming more and more people are picking up on it, that it's not about the potato, but yeah, people want to focus on potatoes and they want to focus on weight loss and, both of those things to me are irrelevant. It's, I'm pretty happy that I lost weight. I'm totally honest that, yeah, that's great. But the point of it wasn't about weight loss. It was about changing the way I lived my life and mm-hmm. changing the way I thought and trying to uh, get closer to being the person that uh, that I am now and and I continue to evolve. And, uh, yeah, go, to go back to education, it's that's a side of things that we give almost no attention to in school and uh, – yeah, we spend so much time trying to uh, teach kids how to do jobs that might not even exist by the time mm-hmm. they graduate. When uh, to me, life is the key to life is it's it's all about problem solving. Um, in in all of life, you're presented with one problem after another after another, and the people that can think creatively and logically as well, and just come up with as many different possible solutions to a problem as possible then they're the people that are more likely to uh, be successful. And by successful, I mean happy and, uh, and living in alignment with, uh, with their values and become good mm-hmm. people, basically. So, yeah, there's uh, something that educa- the education system struggles with. And, uh, and uh, that's back to my theory. I think that's why we end up with midlife crisis, crises. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. I'm with you. Yeah. Anyway, back to sport. I wanted to talk about All sport. Right. <laughs> so, um, what what sort of personality traits do you think we have? That well, you, I guess, you, it's probably hard to speak for other people, or maybe it's not. But uh, that that what sort of personality tra- personality traits do you have, or do you need to be successful in an in an athletic pursuit of some sort? Well, I think first you have to define <clears throat> success. You know, what do you mean by success? And I think every individual has a different definition of that. Like if you want to be successful, if, if your definition of success is an Olympic gold medal or, you know, a professional contract, that's okay, very different the, from somebody who, you know, just wants to like feel fit and yeah. in their body. I guess what I mean for success to, to, to be able to look back on, on your efforts and say, I got the most I could out of the body I was given. Mm-hmm. For, that might be an Olympic gold medal or it might be finishing a marathon in five hours, whatever that is. If you, if you can look back on your um, sporting efforts and say, I got the absolute most out of my body, what do you think it takes to, to as far as a personality traits? Like what do you need to focus on to, to get to that point? 
Well, I think, yeah, I think if, if, I think if success is defined by maximizing your potential in the body that you're given, uh, then, then I think, uh, then I think being successful requires a a pretty singular focus. You know what I mean? I think, I think a lot of the addictive tendencies that I have play well into that equation. You know, the most successful athletes are very singularly minded. They live their life like a monk and it's all about performance and everything in their life is organized and constructed to support that success equation. Now, most of us don't live like that. And I was never a professional athlete. I consider myself successful because I believe that I've been able to, I I still think I haven't reached my potential as an athlete and there's things that I have yet to express, but I feel good about the results that I've been, that I've received in not just the body that I've been given, but also the life that I've been given, right? So for me, success is about getting the most out of my mind, body, and spirit while also keeping the other important areas of my life in check. So I could be a better athlete if I wanted to be a terrible father and terrible husband and just not talk to any people. You know, I, I I might be able to perform better as an ultra endurance athlete if I did that, but would that be worth it? Would I be successful? I don't think that would be successful, right? Yeah. I think success is when all the important areas of your life are, are working in harmony. And that's a tough equation to solve, right? So that's, that's, what I'm always, that's where I'm always gauging my success. And I think the most successful athletes over time, and I've had the opportunity on my podcast to interview many of them, will tell you that they perform better when you know, their relationships are are better when they're when they are living in the world. Like I interviewed Kerry Walsh Jennings, the most successful volleyball beach volleyball player of all time, and she plays better with kids. And before when she had before she had kids, obviously she had more time to train. Now her time is more precious in terms of how to organize her life. But she'll tell you that she's a better athlete now, even though some would consider that to be a distraction, right? Yeah. Because she's a more well-rounded human being and she has more to bring to her sport. So I think being successful is, is when you have your priorities organized in your life and performance and athleticism are fairly high up in that list, but there are more important things in life that have to be you know, in check. So if those are out of whack, then it doesn't matter how fast you are or how many games you win or how many goals you score or what have you. Yeah. That's Does a, that answer your question? No, yeah, that's great. Yeah. My next question was, I was going to ask you how you personally define success, mm-hmm. but I think you, I think you've answered that. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I think it's really important to, um, to keep in mind that whatever goal we choose, it's, uh, if you, if you achieve that goal, but let other areas of your life turn to rubble, then. Mm-hmm. that's not really success right either. if you like if your goal is to eat you know only potatoes for a year but in the wake of that like you had to alienate everybody you cared about in your life yeah. in order to achieve that would that be a successful year for you yeah if, <laughs> if, if my wife divorced me because <laughs> yeah, of her she's like i've had that. enough of this <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so yeah very very uh good point so uh my my wife has this theory that uh that love and hate uh, are very closely related, right? Uh, so if you had a, she talks about it like being on a circle, and if if love is at uh, twelve o'clock, then hate is at twelve o one. There's mm-hmm. like a very short step between the two. So I'm going somewhere with this. There's uh, 
I, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about success and failure and I was thinking that um, perhaps success and failure have a similar relationship. What do you think about about that? As you know, if if someone you love, sometimes I haven't experienced this myself, but it happens all the time. They do one small thing wrong, and suddenly the whole relationship turns to shit, and they hate each other. Um, and I was thinking that yeah, perhaps there's a similar relationship with success and failure. Can if one small thing goes wrong, um, perhaps everything can fall apart. Is that something that uh, that you relate to as well, or is that a uh, my own warped thinking again um i'm trying to wrap my head around that i mean certainly i think the premise that love and hate are 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 close i i can see that i mean anybody who gets divorced you know you see people who go from being very close to being you know in world war three in the snap of a finger so i understand your point with that in terms of of how that works with success and failure um i don't know because i think I think I, I think it goes back to how you're defining success and failure professionally. Like yeah. for me, it's about success is about being able to pursue what's in my heart and do it in a way that is of service to other people and supports my family in the meantime. Like to me, that's success. Yeah. So failure would be what? Like I'm trying to under failure would be, I suppose, uh, not being able to find a way to express what's in my heart in a way that could support my family. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I don't I'm, know. Like, so yeah, I guess I don't I'm, know if the analogy holds up, no, with no, that, I think, but I, I think you're right. I think, I, I guess I'm stuck in the idea that, um, that success is defined uh, um, for this point anyway, is defining sex, sex, success, success. <laughs> by, uh, by, the, the like, sporting achievement on its own oh, well, it's, rather sport than, I see yeah, yeah sorry see yeah sport rather than okay like, so yeah. yeah for me um for me success in sport is is really um it's it's similar though because for yeah. me success in sport is the ability to for me success in sport how do I how do I articulate this like the success is in is in the path towards the event you know what i mean like it almost doesn't matter how i do in the race if i've constructed my life in a way that's allowed me to train which is what i love to do and i'm able to express myself and be of service to others through that journey then i've already succeeded like the race itself is just an is like a a manifestation and a celebration of everything that preceded it and how i do on that day um to me doesn't dictate whether I'm a successful athlete or a failure. Like in 2011, I did, I did Ultraman and I didn't finish the race. Like a day, you know, a day and change into the race, I pulled out. I had a respiratory infection. I just wasn't feeling it. I trained all year for that race. I didn't compete in any other race. It was all about trying to win that race. I was super fit, like way fitter than I had been in 2009. And I really thought I had a chance at at really taking the win and things just didn't go my way. And on some level it was devastating and I paid the price and that's a whole other story. But I don't think that I look back on that and think I'm a super failure. It was just an experience that I had that taught me some things about myself that I've tried to learn from. 
Yeah, I, I get that. I've I had, uh, you know, in the people that I've worked with that have decided to do their own potato challenge, they say, hey, I failed because I mm-hmm. ate a banana or whatever or a piece of cake or whatever. And I, I always say that you're only, you've only failed if you haven't learned something from it. I hate so, that word failure. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it really, it really isn't helpful. You know, it's just yeah. feedback is a much better word. It's feedback. Like, what can you learn from this? Okay. I'll do this next time. Like a more neutral or sort of more encouraging version of that word, I think would, would behoove most people. Like if we could get rid of the word failure and switch it up with something else. No, I totally agree. And, uh, and to go back to education again, this is like so many kids that I've worked with don't want to try a, a new way of uh, trying to solve an equation because oh, what if I get it wrong? Right. So what? And on, when you create stakes that have real life ramifications, like on their, you know, their, their report card that means something down the line in terms of the university and all of that, like you're not encouraging kids to think outside the box and try new things because they're, they're holding on to this perfectionist standard. And ultimately I think it, it hamstrings and handicaps people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so this uh, this idea of um, of success and failure again, it needs to be a, a holistic one, rather than uh, rather than just focusing on on the specific event. Um, how do you choose your events that you do? Like uh, Ultraman's a pretty out there event that mm-hmm. uh, I guess it's a bit more popular now than than when you did it, but it's still it's uh, not many people know that it exists. And now I've forgotten the name of the event that you're uh, you're doing yeah, this Otello. year, but they're pretty unusual, pretty out there events. So how do you get around to making these choices? I don't, it's almost like they choose me. Like, I don't feel like I consciously choose them. Um, it just, it's one of those things where I know it when I see it. And, you know, in the case of Ultraman, I read an article and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I just knew intuitively, like, this is something that I had to do. Um, and for, a long time people have been saying, cause I haven't raced since 2011. So like, when are you going to do a race? When are you going to do the race? And I actually wasn't sure that I ever was going to race again. I was like, is it relevant anymore? Do I need to do this? Is there something I still feel like I need to express? I didn't know. And then Otillo kind of got into my awareness and it's a similar thing. Like I just got super interested in it. It's totally different than anything I've ever done before. It's an opportunity to compete, um, with a different perspective because I'm doing it with a teammate, my coach. And, uh, and I don't know, it just seems cool and fun. And I wanted to, and like I said, like I still feel like I have things to express in that world. And it was an opportunity to bring more focus and structure into my life around the training because at 50, it had been a while and I felt like it was time to do something new. But yeah, I just didn't, it, it chose me. I mean, that's the short answer to yeah. the question. Fair enough. So I, I get uh, a lot of emails from a lot of comments and things from people but when I'm talking about that I want to try and get fit. Most, not all, but most people think that I should be getting in the gym, hitting the weights, trying mm. to put on heaps of muscle and get massive. And, you know, that's right. that's the thing that um, people want to see because, you know, the, the whole idea of um, eating only plants, not getting enough protein – Hey, Andrew, why don't you hit the gym, get huge and show people that you can do that? So I'm sure you've had that too. Why not go and do that? Why not spend some time in the gym and get some huge guns and show people where that protein's all... uh, Yeah, I mean, I could. (laughs) There's other people doing that. I don't think that's my gift. You know what I mean? I could actually, the minute I touch weights, I like blow up. Like 
putting on mass for me would be like if I spent nine months in a gym hitting it like three or four times a week, I would just blow up. But I, I don't really want to be that guy. Like I, I like being outdoors. I like I don't you know, I'm not really a gym rat person. So, you know, it's about what you, what do you want to like? I think it's about what do you want to do that interests you? Um, and I think you factor in like how do you carry the message or how does that commitment to that path? Um, inform how you advocate to the world and there's something to be said for you know putting on some masks because that's what dudes look to like they want to see dudes that are that are bulked up and ripped you know because yeah. like, that's your way of defying the stereotype but I think for you like what do you enjoy doing it's your yeah. life you know yeah, yeah and I think you'll find your way to advocate through something that you know you really have a passion for as opposed to like I'm going to go into the gym to prove a point yeah and you hate going to the gym yeah, that's a, a similar way I've been thinking anyway, is that, yeah, I like being outside. I like running. I like kayak. I still mm. like kayaking. And, uh, yeah, it just doesn't feel uh, authentic to me to be spent. I like lifting weights too, but, you know, I've got limited time. If I've got uh, a time, I, if I had that four hours a day I was talking about earlier, then maybe I'd spend one of them in the gym. But uh, Here's the bigger yeah. point. Here's the bigger point. Like, yep. I think when you're doing something because you're trying to prove a point and convince people of something that's not as powerful as stepping into your most fully actualized self, like listening to your heart and like following the path that is, you know, uniquely you. And when you have kind of become that fully actualized person, there's nothing more powerful than that. Right. As opposed to like, I'm going into the gym because I'm going to show these guys this, this, and this. Well, you could get all super buffed up and then they'll just say, well, he's on steroids. Like it doesn't, <laughs> if somebody doesn't want to be convinced yeah. or doesn't want to hear the message, they're not going to hear it. Yeah. You know, and the way to kind of penetrate consciousness is to be like super in alignment with yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I was never thinking of getting in the gym and doing that, but these are the messages I get all the time. And uh, you're actually starting to sound like my wife. I've got, uh-huh. <laughs> I've got, I've have a few different ideas that are closer to alignment with myself. But my wife just keeps coming back with, "This is what you have to do because uh-huh. this is who you are." Uh, you to be like, who yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. It's making more and more sense to me. Anyway, it's just sort of turning into a counselling session, isn't it? That's all right. <laughs> uh, so, do you do you actually do you have a goal for your uh, Otillo race, or is it just to do with uh, you know, like you were talking about earlier, about keeping balance in your life and making sure that you are doing a good job in all areas of life, and then just celebrate with the race at the end? Or yeah, I mean, I yeah. think you know, I turned fifty this year. And this whole journey for me began when I turned 40. So it's been 10 years. And so at this, at this juncture in my life, it's like, well, what does a 50-year-old look like? You know, where do they sit in terms of their fitness and their diet and their relationship with your, their kids and their profession and their wife, you know, my wife and all of that? It's another moment to kind of take stock and in inventory. And I think, you know, racing Otillo is an opportunity to kind of be an emissary for the plant-based movement as an athlete to kind of show in a very transparent way, like this is my journey at 50. Like I don't, I'm not going to be as fast as I was when I was 43 probably. Um, but I don't care. I want to be the fittest, most actualized version of myself at 50 and use that, use the race and the journey towards the race as a platform and a means to continue to advocate for healthy lifestyle. So I've kind of been sharing it pretty transparently, mostly on Instagram, a little bit on, you know, YouTube and the other social media platforms, 
to just say, this is 50. Like here, I, you know, I actually wasn't that fit like four months ago. Like I was still pretty lean. Like I've been doing this for 10 years, but I wasn't hitting it that hard. And now I'm like trying to get fit again. And I wanted to be able to share what that's like and to be able to just say, this is where I'm at with it. You know what I mean? And so in terms of my goals for the race, I want to be, you know, I want to be competitive, but you know, whether, whether we can be in the top pack, I don't know, you know, this is totally unchartered territory for me, but I'm not really attached to the result. Like I'm more, I'm more into doing, trying to find a way to, you know, do it for the love of it and have it work within the construct of my life, which is now a lot busier than it was when I was 42 and 43 and training for Ultraman and like I couldn't get a phone call returned you know like I didn't have anything I had no game I had nothing going on so I could train and nobody was going to bug me and now that's not what my life looks like and so how can I be okay with that fit the training in make it all work within the schedule continue to be able to take advantage of all these amazing opportunities that have been gifted to me as a result of you know the, the decisions that I've made the books that I've written the podcast that I do that has brought me to Australia and given me the opportunity to sit down and talk to you and go to these events that we're here to do. Like, I want to be able to live that life. So I don't want to go back to being a monk just because I'm, you know, I have a performance goal as an athlete. Like that's not my life. That would not be successful for me. Success for me is going to be derived from being able to do all the things that I want to do in my life to carry this message and to be okay with whatever the result comes from that. So how do you fit it all in then? How does it, you know, you're a busy man. How, how does it? Very imperfectly. Yeah. You yeah. know, I get, I, I get, I do it. I'm able to do it because I, I'm working hard at releasing my attachment to being perfect and being obsessive about it. Yeah. You know, so. Do you I have supposed to do times? Like for, yeah. well, I was supposed to do yeah. two workouts today. It's yeah. not going to happen. You know, yeah. I did one this morning. That's fine. And like, okay, it's cool. Yeah. I'm in Australia. I get to hang out with you guys. We're having a good time. We're putting out a podcast that people are going to listen to. So I chalk it up as a win for today instead of yep. grinding my teeth and saying, I didn't get to do it, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, I'm not interested in being that person. Are you anymore. into like structured time planning? Idea? I like, definitely have a do loose, well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely, <clears throat> I definitely do well with structure. So I have a coach and he creates my workout plan. And so right then and there it removes the decision fatigue out of like what am i going to do fitness wise today and when i know what my workout is that's kind of a foundational point around which i can structure other things in my life and so i work well with schedule like i want to know what i'm doing next tuesday and that may change but just being able to forecast into the future and have a sense of what my life is going to look like allows me to make better decisions about how i allocate my time and my resources so you know, I would highly suggest because we're similar in that regard, yeah. I would, I would presume that that would work well for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I mm. have not done yet. I've sort of tried to just fit training in when I can. And how does that work? It. Yeah. It doesn't I, work so more good, often than right? not. It doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you don't want to be spud unfit. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm getting fit. No, I'm, you look getting, great, yeah. man. I mean, you look great, but yeah, I think I'm that, trying not to sound too down on what's going on. I'm yeah. getting fitter. It is happening. It's just not happening as quick as I would like. Well, it because to. you haven't a, figured out how yeah. you want to express that fitness. And yeah. when you haven't made that decision, then there's all this confusion about yeah. what it is exactly that you're doing. Right. So I think fundamentally from a very foundational point of view, you have to like find some kind of goal. And again, you don't have to say it publicly, but like once you have that, it's like an anchor. 
yeah. and everything else in your life will literally come into focus. And then it will free up all this sort of the mental masturbation that's going on in your head that I think is paralyzing you a little bit. Mental masturbation. That's a, that's a good phrase. Yeah. I haven't heard before. <laughs> well, uh, Kanga, if you're listening, that's a, an old kayak coach. I might have to, uh, might have to get you on the podcast, Kanga, and uh, maybe we can work out what happens next. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think yeah, you're probably right. I do need a coach. Um, so not, not necessarily, but you need to make well, some I decisions. Well, I need to make some decisions, yeah. and, and Kanga can help me anyway. Uh, all right, so it's cold and it's wet. It has been in Sydney lately, and uh, you know. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's, <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, you're jet lagged, so you get up early anyway. But on a typical morning, let's say you've got a 5 a.m. workout scheduled and it's cold and wet and miserable and, uh, and the alarm goes off. And what do you do? How do you get yourself up and out? And well, I think the main happening? thing is the first thing I do is I have an app on my phone called Training Peaks. And, oh, yeah? it's a, and, and that's the sort of you know, fitness app that my coach and I use. It's a calendaring app for your, for your training where you can yep. upload your workouts. And right there is, you know, I can t- type on the calendar and I look on the day and my coach has my workout there. Yep. So all I have to do, I look at that the day before or whatever. So I know what my workout is the next day. Yep. And so what I, the best strategy is I just turn my brain off. Like your brain is going to attack you. Keep, you should sleep in. You don't have to work out today. Oh, it's raining. You should do this instead. Like you have to learn that you have to, you have to get to a place where you can become an observer of your mind, right? To understand and be able to differentiate between the chat, the idle chatter of the thinking mind that's trying to talk you out of whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing and your higher consciousness. And when you become the observer, you realize these are two different things and you don't have to listen to that idle chatter of your thinking mind. You can actually make a different plan for yourself and take action in a different way that is in alignment with the goals that you seek. So the first thing is understanding that bifurcation. And then once you understand that, developing some level of mastery over shutting down the idle chatter of the thinking mind and taking action in contradiction to that, right? So that means just turn your brain off and put one foot in front of the other. Maybe it's just taking that first leg out of the sheets and putting it on the floor, you know, and then it's putting the other foot on the floor and not overthinking it. The more you can just be in the moment and move your body without, without, getting caught up in that mental masturbation before you know it, you're out the door. The hardest part is jumping in the water or, you know, that first step that you take on your run or whatever it is. And when it's done, you're never like, I wish I hadn't done that. But sometimes you have to shut off your brain because it's not your friend and just take the action. So I call it mood follows action. Yep. Um, because, if you're just waiting around until you feel like doing it, like uh, I'll feel better if I sleep longer or I do whatever, you know, then chances are you're never going to get to it or you're less likely to get to it. So it's just about taking action irrespective of what your mind is telling you. Yeah. This is really interesting because as soon as you start saying it, I start thinking these are all the same things that I was doing with potatoes last Mm -hmm. year. Basically it's, it's like, you know, you got that little, devil on your shoulder you can have this no one's looking no one will know exactly yeah i call it like uh you know a used car salesman sitting on my shoulder he he doesn't he doesn't care about what's good for me he just wants me to buy the car you know and 
you know, that voice in the back of my mind that's telling me, oh, this bed's so comfortable and you can train later on. It's okay, you'll get the training session done this afternoon instead of this morning. That's not a voice that has my best interests at heart. That's mm-hmm. a voice that just is uh, is trying to just get what he wants, which is going back to sleep. So, uh, yeah, it's these are all things that I did with potatoes and now you're, you're uh, relating it back to exercise for me, which I should have been able to do on my own. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... It's great, you know, but yeah, like what did you, maybe you can sit down and write it out, like make an inventory of what you learned from that experience of eating potatoes and how it translates into the goals that you're, that you've set for yourself now in the fit part of that equation. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt that, uh, that's a, that's a good idea. I should definitely do that because yeah, the more, more we talk, the more I think, yeah, I've done this before. I already knew the answer. I just hadn't applied it to uh, a different mm-hmm. scenario so anyway that's clearing it up so that's good <laughs> so um right there are four different aspects of uh of again the the singular focus of sport as a as a thing rather than a holistic uh lifestyle approach but yeah, they can uh, they can apply to everything anyway but i was uh, when i think of what it takes to be successful i think of training diet recovery and spirituality or mm-hmm. mindfulness or whatever word you want to use for that last it's all in your head anyway the, the fourth category so uh what do those things mean to you are they all equally important do you focus on one or the other or what, how does it how does it work for you it's all spiritual yeah you know if that's not in check then nothing else matters or functions properly so that comes first my relationship to, you know, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it God or your, you know, sort of spiritual proclivity, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but that first and foremost has to be the priority. It comes before my relationship with my wife or my job, because if I don't have that in check, that will lead me back towards a drink and unhealthy behavior patterns and a whole battery of things that that really will destroy my life. And so nothing else matters. And when that is in check and when I am tending to that, everything else in my life kind of comes together in this weird magical equation. So for me, my athletic pursuits, my professional goals, all of these are really just external manifestations of and, and commentary on the quality of my spiritual life. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. for me, that's, that's, it's the, that's the paramount, most important thing. Yeah. And it's uh, not the thing sense. people want to talk about, but in truth, like that's, that's, well, that's really I, what it's yeah. all about. That's the thing I want to talk about. Right. Well, uh, we can talk a, about it. It's the same, it's the same thing I always say about, like you said already about the potatoes thing. It's a, it's, it's all about what was going on in my head rather than, uh, rather than the actual act of eating potatoes. That's the easy bit. What, what mm-hmm. was happening in my head was the, the hard bit and the important bit. So what, what do you do then in your life to, uh, to make sure that you've got that spirituality side of things under control? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is I'm, I'm very imperfect in this. Julie would be the first to tell you that I don't always do it very well. Uh, so I'm very much a, uh, you know, a... a um, project in the making, I suppose. But for me, you know, treating my alcoholism is the most important thing. So I do that through 
meditation and 12-step program and community and working with other people that struggle with addiction, everything that kind of gets baked into 12-step programs. Um, I'm a successful product of that. And to, to this day, it's, you know, it's super important to me and I'm very involved in that. Um, <clears throat> beyond that, uh, you know, prayer and meditation are super important. Those are also aspects of, of 12 step. Um, and, uh, and that really has to be, you know, kind of at the core. So what was the question again? Oh, just, just how, how you cultivate spirituality mm -hmm. in your life. And, and I how, think, yeah, it's yeah. about, it's about setting up, setting up kind of rules and parameters around your day to make sure that those things get prioritized, right? So meditation in the morning, I do, you know, written inventory and a gratitude list. If I have more time, I do journaling. Like these are things that when, you know, I am practicing them, my life goes better. And again, like I'm not perfect at it. And there are days that go by where I'm not doing it. And then my day doesn't go as well, you know, yeah. things like that. So I'm not holding myself out on any big pedestal about that, but the, the better I am about <clears throat> creating priorities around, uh, you, you know, around those daily practices and morning we routines, and the better. What do we have? Somebody's at the door. It's all right. Maybe I'll just pause it. Mm -hmm. Hi. All right. Maybe pause yeah, for yeah. a minute. And no we'll... worries. Yep. All right. We're, we're back. Um, we were talking about spirituality. I can't uh -huh. remember exactly what. Uh, sort of daily, like s structuring, you know, your your schedule and your daily practices around prioritizing that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the, there's, uh, I think we, we might maybe covered that part of things anyway. Um, in, in the act of exercise itself or events or whatever, is, do you find a, a spiritual aspect to that? Like for myself, if I'm out for a run, it sort of feels, if I'm running without listening to the Rich Roll podcast and uh -huh. I'm just got... How just, dare you? <laughs> yeah, if, I, if I'm running with no, no earbuds in it, it, it feels meditative to me does mm -hmm. that is that something you can relate to as well or yeah absolutely i yeah. mean the ultraman experience the training and the racing were crazy spiritual experiences for me um there's certainly an active meditation component to endurance training uh and i think that's qualitatively different from a formal meditation practice and you know we can parse that out and talk about that if you want but beyond that um yeah for me the training for Ultraman, which involved crazy long days, you know, eight, nine hour, 10 hour bike rides, 40 mile training runs, like doing things I'd never done in my life and never thought that my body was actually capable of doing were transcendent experiences, you know, and it, they were the manifestation of this journey to try to connect with myself. And the, the, the difficulties that I faced in the training, I welcomed into my life as this kind of catalyst or vehicle to help me grapple with this question of identity because I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And I kind of voluntarily submitted myself to this crucible of pain as a means of trying to connect with what was real about myself. So it was a template for asking and answering questions around who am I? What is my place in the world? Like, what do I want to express? What are my innate gifts? All these things that started to crop up that I'd never really asked myself prior to that. 
that had now percolated to the surface. You can call it a you know a midlife crisis, but it really was much more than that for me. It was like it was a it was a crisis of identity, completely down to my core. And so, yes, the training and the racing were spiritual experiences that helped me uh, grapple with and ultimately reconcile these questions for myself. Yeah, great answer. And and you would no doubt if you didn't have that uh, spiritual approach to uh, to your training and your racing, your life would be very different to what it is now. Yeah. If you yeah if you're just all about uh, training to try to get the result you want and not uh, and not. Uh, That's why triathletes are the most boring people on earth. <laughs> I haven't met too many triathletes, but uh, I've met a lot of endurance athletes, and uh-huh. yeah, there's a very uh, singular and heart rate and their yeah. watts and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, and all about uh, what gear you've got and uh, what training zone you're in all the time, and rather than uh, rather than what's going on between the ears, which yeah. is which is where it's where it's at. Um, so I'd I'd get in a lot of trouble from my listeners if I didn't ask you a, a few other things about uh, what you specifically eight so can we we better go through mm-hmm. that it's not my favorite topic it is an important topic but you know we've covered the spiritual side of things so let's talk about what you eat what helps you train hard and it's funny yeah. it's not my favorite thing either like yeah. i actually just put up a youtube video last week and it was just like it was like a little day in the life vlog like just oh here's like a typical day you know i kind of just took people through like yeah, what a day looks one. like and i and i and i didn't even realize that like there wasn't one frame of me eating anything and the whole thing and people are like oh it's a day in the life of you but like no food like didn't occur to me because i just think like it's not that interesting but then i realized like oh that's what everyone wants to know you know so it's pretty basic like i'm not i mean i i eat more than just potatoes you know so it's like a little (laughs) less basic than me too now (laughs) but it's not very it's not fancy you know or anything like that like you know i get up i drink a bunch of water First thing when I wake up in the morning, um, usually I'll add a little apple cider vinegar to that to try to like alkalize my system. Um, and then I wish I could tell you that I had tea, but I've been drinking coffee lately. That's the truth. Um, so I start the morning with, um, my with, wife would be happy to coffee. hear that. <laughs> Will she? <laughs> my wife's not happy to hear She's, that. She's, uh, my wife's but, quit coffee for this month and, uh, just as a part of the, her own little spud fit challenge that she's doing. And, uh, yeah, anyway, she'll be happy to know that you're drinking coffee because really? she's missing coffee. Well, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be drinking coffee. Yeah. Like the goal for me, like I can get very addictive and compulsive about it. It's yeah. not good, really. So I probably should be doing what she's doing. But the truth is I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning. And then I go train. Like often I don't eat anything in the morning. Um, currently, like because my training volume is where it's at, I haven't felt the need to. And I actually like just going out and getting it done. And my morning training session is usually, it's either, it's usually a swim or a run. Uh, Once in a while it's a bike, but I'm not doing much cycling right now. So um, it can be anywhere from an hour to two and a half hours. And I really don't feel the need to eat anything to get through that. Just water or some coconut water and I'm good. When I'm done with my training, then I come home uh, and I'll usually make, uh, I'll have like a, a fresh pressed juice and I'll make a smoothie uh, and the smoothie is usually comprised of, well, it depends on what we have, happen to have in the house, which is always different, but it's fundamentally starts with dark leafy greens. So spinach, kale, chard are always the basis of it. 
then maybe beets or beet greens. If I am super hungry in the morning and I do eat before I train, I always put beets in my smoothie. It's very great. It's great for pre-workout. Um, and I should say on the mornings that I do eat before I work out, it's usually pretty light. It'll probably be uh, a glass of the smoothie that I'm describing now. Um, then beyond that, like berries and some citrus and uh, what else would I put in there? Maybe some pineapple. Um, and then I can get fancy with some superfoods like chia seeds and hemp seeds and ground flax seeds and spirulina and maca powder and you know whatever else I happen to have. But really, uh, it can just be bananas, apples, and kale if that's all I happen to have in the house, and then I'm good. So that's like a core core kind of fundamental thing that I do, the Vitamix blended drink. Where you make like um, a whole two liters? I make or, a huge yeah, thing of it, yeah. and I don't necessarily drink it all. Um, sometimes I do. If I just put in a huge workout, I'll drink the whole thing. Uh, but more often than not, maybe I'll have half of it, and I'll thermos the rest, and then I kind of keep it with me throughout the day, and I'll sip on it. it keeps my energy high. keeps my kind of appetite curbed. Um, and then, you know, snacking throughout the day is usually walnuts, almonds, almond butter, and fruit. Like I eat tons of bananas. I keep a bunch of bananas and a little bag of almonds in my car all the time. That's um, a really good and tip. Dates, and dates. Yeah, to yeah, make yeah. the healthy choice the convenient choice. Like I live in Los Angeles. We're in our cars all the time, yeah. all the time. And, you know, if you're stuck in traffic and you don't have anything to eat, then you're setting yourself up to, you know, ultimately pull into the drive through window and eat something that you don't want to be eating. So always making sure that you have healthy choices within arm's reach, I think is important. For lunch, I keep it pretty light, uh, maybe a big salad. Sometimes I just snack throughout the day and graze and then I'll eat dinner. Like I don't, you know, I don't often sit down for like a formal lunch. It's just yeah. not really part of my day. So often it's just grazing lightly throughout the day or maybe a salad or a wrap or something like that. Um, if I'm super hungry, you know, rice and beans with some steamed vegetables or quinoa or something like that. And then my big meal of the day is dinner. Uh, Julie is an extraordinary cook. She makes it easy cause she's always making super nutritious, healthy, fulfilling meals. Uh, and we eat what's in our cookbook. The plant, if you want to know what we eat, like it's all in our cookbook, <laughs> the plant power way. Uh, so it can be anything from, you know, veggie burritos to, to uh, kind of bean-based pastas, to enchiladas, to veggie burgers, what have you. You know, it's pretty hearty, stick-to-your-ribs kind of fare, and I tend to be hungry at lunch or at dinner because I eat pretty lightly throughout the day. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm not a big sweet tooth, so, like, desserts aren't a thing for me. I don't even really crave them. Uh, and that would be, you know, a pretty accurate glimpse. Okay, so food's not a huge focus in your life to... to well, it's, I love food and I have a huge appetite and I eat a ton of food and I like food. So it's not like I don't care, but I'm not like a gourmet. Like it's yeah. not about like going to a fancy restaurant for me. Like I could be happy eating rice and beans yeah. with hot sauce and, and avocado in it. Like I could eat that every day. Yeah. Like I wouldn't care. Yeah. Um, and I don't do that, but I don't try to get too caught up in and you know what I'm eating. I don't really overthink it that you much. You got more important things to yeah, focus and I don't, on. And people yeah. are like, well, what is your ratio of macronutrients? Yeah. And I was like, I don't even like, what? You know, like I don't think about that. Like I'm just living my life. And when yeah. I'm eating lots of plant foods, lots of fruits and vegetables and, and you know, healthy whole grains like brown rice and, and seeds and nuts and things like that, I feel good. My body performs well. And I don't really need to spend too much time, you know, going down, a crazy rabbit hole beyond that. 
All right. And if you did go on a long training session that you needed to take food with you on, what would what would you take? Uh, Whole Foods. I would bring if it was a if it was a a cycling adventure because you can digest food a little bit more readily. I would bring bananas, dates, almond butter, and probably some baked potatoes, sweet potato or baked potato, like because you can they're they're soft, they're mushy. You can eat them when you're riding and digest them. So that would be typical for cycling for running uh it would be it has it's harder to digest food when you're running so it would be more like almond butter uh like like justin's almond butter things you can like they're sort of like gels they come in little packets okay um or uh or, more energy uh, dense or foods. yeah or 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 like <clears throat> yeah like dates or some mashed up banana as well yeah um for liquid nutrition you can there's a product called perpetuum by hammer nutrition that's basically like super condensed a high carbohydrate drink it tastes like pancake batter but it's high calorie and that that fuels me for super long stuff for swimming i don't ever eat anything when i'm swimming yeah you probably you wouldn't be swimming long enough most of the time that you'd need to eat yeah not really i mean well you know the longer workouts are going to be two two and a half hours but if i just have like some coconut water or some water throughout that that's that's all i need like it's tricky you you don't really want to be eating when you're swimming it causes digestive problems yeah yeah Yeah. all right uh recovery is the other one that uh, i put these uh questions Mm -hmm. out on social media and uh and the overwhelming uh responses were about what you eat uh-huh. And, uh, and the other one was about recovery. So what do you do for recovery for, from training sessions? Uh, so just to kind of preface it, I would say that recovery is super duper important as an athlete. It's the last thing you want to skimp on because it's during the periods of recovery that your body gets stronger. Your body doesn't get stronger during your workout. It gets stronger after your workout, the period in between the workouts. So to the extent that you can create an environment around those periods that is conducive to making yourself stronger, then you're going to perform better as an athlete and ultimately be, you know, a healthier human being. So the number one fundamental thing, the most important thing about recovery is sleep. You cannot skimp on sleep and expect your body to optimize that recovery period. Sleep is the number one performance enhancer when it comes to recovery. So for me, Sleep is super important and I need a lot, like eight, when I'm training really hard, eight or nine hours. And if I don't get it, if I don't sleep deeply enough or I don't get enough hours of sleep and I just don't perform well, I don't feel good mentally, physically, you know, emotionally, like I'm just off my game. And so I really emphasize that. And as I get older, like when you get older, like sleep becomes trickier, you know, it's harder to get a good night's sleep. Your body is, you know, it's more difficult to, you know, create the environment to be as restful as possible. So I've gone to great lengths to try to set this up because I've, I struggle with it. You know, when I'm training really hard, I'll fall right asleep. But when I'm not training as hard, it's, it's really difficult for me to de-escalate. And so that's why I sleep in a tent on my roof because I sleep so better in a tent. The, yeah, I sleep in right. a tent on the roof most That's nights. something I thought I would have. Yeah, in, in I just research. found that like the yeah. cold air and sleeping yeah. under the stars, like I that I sleep five to ten times better that yeah, way. Right. 
So, and I'm a, and I'm just a more functional. That makes sense. I think I would sleep better in a tent too. Yeah, I love like, going camping. And I love it, you know, and I, I love it. And I know people think it's weird or whatever, but like, I don't, I've not so heard of anyone. I sleep, <laughs> like that's how far I've taken it. Like yeah, I yeah. actually sleep in a tent. And so there's a lot of other strategies around that. But I think in terms of recovery, sleep is super important. Um, nutrition is super important. We talked, we touched on that a little bit, but making sure that you're hydrated. Most people don't drink enough water. Most people don't eat enough fiber. It's not about protein. You don't have to worry about protein, but you need to make sure that you're paying attention to your micronutrients and your phytonutrients and all these things that most people are deficient in. And that comes through eating tons of fruit and veg, right? That's the bottom line. And making sure that you're replenishing uh, not just your electrolytes, your fluids, but also your glycogen stores within a relatively short period of time after your workout I think is important and eating the right foods, eating foods that keep your energy high. Like if gluten makes you feel tired, then stop eating all the bread and the pasta and the pizza crust and all the kind of stuff that make you feel like crap and start fueling yourself with the foods that give you good energy and allow you to vibrate, you know, higher. So nutrition, sleep, um, those are super important. And then I think also, um, something that I'm not very good at, which is kind of all the prophylactic stuff that you need to do to prevent injury, like the foam rolling. And, you know, I have some back issues right now. Like I've got a sciatic nerve thing that I'm not paying enough attention to. I should go to the chiropractor. I should be doing certain exercises that I'm not doing. And as I get older, those things become much more important in terms of making sure that you're healthy and injury free. Um, so chiro foam rolling, and I think strength and especially core exercises are super important. No matter what kind of athlete you are, ensuring that you have a strong core, strong abdominal muscles, lower back muscles, um, will make you uh, less injury prone and just more facile and, and more adept at whatever sort of sport that you're pursuing. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I totally agree mm. with everything. It's, uh, it's, yeah, recovery is absolutely as important as the training that you do. Uh, right, we've got to wrap this up. We've got a couple of minutes left. My last question is, uh, what, what do you think is stopping people from making the changes that you want to see people making like, and that I want to see as well? Like, we want people mm. to take steps towards becoming the people that they should and deserve to be. And that's, there's a whole range of things that that involves. What do you think is the number one thing that gets in the way of people making these changes that they should be making? Fear and attachment to comfort. You know, I think, I think people get very stuck in, in uh, their lifestyles and how they think about their life. And as you get older, it becomes more and more difficult to alter those perspectives. People are very afraid of getting outside their comfort zone, of doing something they're unfamiliar with. And we're very attached to the idea of comfort and security and ease and like living the good life. And we've become wholly divorced from the notion that we are most alive and we are uh, most vital when we have the courage to step outside of that comfort zone and challenge ourselves with new tasks and things that are really outside of anything that we're used to doing. It scares people. So my message is always to try to encourage people to take that initial first step outside of their comfort zone, to realize that, yeah, maybe the water's a little cold, 
but you're going to be okay. Not only are you going to be okay, you're going to feel more alive than you ever have before. But until somebody entertains that for themselves, it's hard for them to really embrace that idea, especially with, <coughs> you know, the culture the way it is right now, where we're bombarded with messages of, you know, basically telling us that happiness is related to, you know, the size of our television screen and how comfortable our couch is and how, you know, amazing our sports car is. These are not the tools that are going to lead us to happiness, but it's very difficult when that's all you see all day long for you to think differently about that. And it's scary for people, you know, people don't want to change and people say that people don't change all the time. Oh, people don't change. Mm. Look at how much you've changed. You know, look at how much I've changed. People can change. People change all the time. Yeah. You know? And absolutely. often, you know, pain is a good motivator for that. You had your, you know, crisis of conscience that led you to make new decisions for yourself, as did I. But the truth is, is that those decisions are available to anyone, anytime. You don't have to be suffering. It's easier if you are yeah. to make those changes, but you don't, that doesn't necessarily have to be your circumstance but it does requ require the wherewithal and the conviction to, you know, to see it and act on it. And that's a tough leap for a lot of people, but, but it's not only possible, it's doable for everybody. All right. Well, yeah, agreed. It's uh, I think that's a great place to finish it on. And, uh, and thank you for joining me on the Spud Fit podcast. Well, one more thing before we go is that you're in Australia for the living the plant plant, Plant. Living the Plant Power Way uh -huh. events. There's one in uh, Sydney on Thursday night, uh, the 16th of March next week. And then one in Melbourne on Friday, the 17th of March next week again. Uh, what can people expect from that if they come? Well, we're going to expect you to take the stage and tell <laughs> your story. That's for sure, right? Yeah, looking forward to so that. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Um, no, they're going to be super fun. I can't wait. Uh, they're kind of, we've created these entire evenings where we get to share and talk about these ideas that we've been talking about on this podcast uh, that I think can be transformative to people. So I'm going to get up and tell my story. Julie's going to tell her story. There's going to be meditation. There's going to be music. There's going to be you telling your story. We're going to do q and I want to make it interactive with the audience. And we're going to have amazing food and desserts. And it's just going to be an awesome time to cultivate a greater sense of connection and community uh, around all these ideas that I think are completely transformative. So I'm super stoked to be here. Uh, first time in Australia, and it's amazing. Hey, like everyone's it. saying I'm so I'm so <laughs> sorry that the weather is so terrible, but like I just love it so much. Like I don't even care. I'm like yeah. I'm, I went down and swam at icebergs. I went running this morning on that like like sort of coastal hike path and it's just like i love this place it's incredible so yeah. super happy to be here and we're in bondi there's all these vegan options vegan amazing vegan restaurants everywhere we look like this place is like yeah, it has a pretty good spot yeah. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway it's going to be great um and we still have some seats and tickets available for people so if you're listening to this and you're in melbourne or sydney or proximate enough to attend we'd love to we'd love to have you yeah, uh, livingtheplantpowerway.com if you're interested in finding out more and uh, hopefully we'll see everyone uh, next week. Awesome, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast, Rich. And Thank thanks you. for coming to Australia. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go now. All right, awesome, man. All right, spot up. Spot up. <laughs> cool. Cool. Don't
So that was that, the Rich Roll episode of the Spud Fit Podcast. I almost said the Rich Roll Podcast then, but it's not. It's the Spud Fit Podcast. It's pretty uh, cool for me to have Rich as a guest on my podcast. Uh, the, the first podcast I ever listened to and uh, obviously someone who's uh, is a, an inspirational guy in my life and someone who I'm proud these days to call a friend. So... Uh, Thank you, Rich, and thanks for listening, everyone. Again, if you're interested in coming to see Rich speak, uh, as well as his wife, Julie Pyatt, and Dr. Andrew Davies, and myself, and, uh, and have some meditation, some yoga, some uh, education, and some awesome food, then go to livingtheplantpowerway.com for uh, information about in- events in Melbourne and Sydney coming up this week. Uh, if you're like if you like what i'm doing then spudfit.com sign up for the newsletter check out our book and uh, and also it would be amazing help if you share this podcast with your friends and also if you go to itunes and click the subscribe button and leave a review uh, all those things are really helpful and uh, and make it easier for me to do what i do so thanks everyone for the support hope you enjoyed the podcast today Spud up.